G'day everyone, uh, my name's Marcus, I'm one of the student ministers here at Bexley North, so great to see you all here this afternoon. Um, you may notice uh, that in your outline, in your weekly snack, uh, it's completely blank, um, and so if you are someone who appreciates headings of some kind for writing notes, this is probably what I uh, should have put in there, context, community, Wisdom, Son of God. So if you want to add those in there, uh, feel free. Uh, But why don't I start by praying and asking God for his help as we approach his word. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we pray that in this time now, that as we read the Bible, as we see what it says and what you have to say, that you'd give us understanding, uh, clarity in our minds, and hearts that comprehend your glory. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, today, as we look at this part of the book of Luke, there's a question I want to ask. Was Jesus the ideal child? Was Jesus the ideal child? Because two weeks ago, at Christmas, we heard these lyrics. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying, no crying he makes. Isn't that the ideal child? Isn't that the child you've always potentially wanted in a baby? One that doesn't cry. <laughs> yeah, Josh knows. If you, and if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that Jesus is perfect. He must be. If he's not, he's just another random bloke dying. But take a look in that passage that Ian just read for us. Verse 48 of chapter 2 of Luke. Verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Jesus made his parents distressed. Surely no ideal child would ever distress their parents in this way. So was Jesus... The ideal child. Well, let's start with some context. Uh, Before we look at the passage, I want to remind you of the purpose of uh, the Gospel of Luke. And there are two words to notice from the beginning of Luke. Fulfilled and certainty. It's up on the screen. This is what it says. This is the beginning of Luke. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us. It also seemed good to me to write you an orderly sequence, most honourable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke wants to tell us about things from the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus when he walked on the earth, and he also wants us to have certainty about what we believe. And so let's see how this happens in this passage. So take a look uh, with me in your Bibles, kicking off in verse 39 at the beginning of our passage. 39. When they had completed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. By the standard of the Jewish law, Jesus has accomplished everything as a baby. And this is integral to our faith. Because when we think about Jesus fulfilling the law on our behalf, 
It's not just that he lived a perfectly obedient life as an adult, but he even did it as a baby. And so we can have certainty that Jesus' death on our behalf works. Because when Jesus died on the cross in our place, he placed a life where the whole law, the whole law had been fulfilled. Both the adult bits and the baby bits. And when we trust in Jesus, he takes our imperfect track record and gives us his complete fulfilment of the law. We don't have to doubt whether Jesus did everything the law required as a baby. We get to have certainty already right here at the beginning of this passage. But now take a look at verse 41 where we get to the main story of our passage. Verse 41. Every year, his parents travelled to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom of the festival. So once again, we have Jesus' parents doing all the right things in parenting and raising Jesus. They're taking him to the right festivals at the right time, the Passover festival being one of the biggest events in the Jewish calendar. And at this point, Jesus is 12 years old. Now, what would you think Jesus is going to be like as a 12-year-old? Is he running around with his mates playing the ancient Israelite version of Pokemon or some other like game that kids play? Or maybe he's like me when I was 12 years old and he's just starting to hit that rebellious streak. Well, take a look at what happens in verse 43. After those days were over, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming he was in the travelling party, they went a day's journey. Then they began looking for him among their friends and relatives. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. Jesus' parents have lost Jesus. He's just straight up missing. Now, when, when we read this, we might think, geez, Mary and Joseph, not very responsible as parents, are they? They've literally travelled for a day and they have no idea where their son is. But the thing that we need to remember, and this passage actually points us to, is the family and community-oriented life that they lived in Jesus' time. People would travel in big family and community convoys. While care for the child was primarily the parent's responsibility, the community was also expected to help out as well. So it makes sense that Jesus' parents think he's somewhere around. It's just how they operated in their time. And I point this out because the Bible pushes us to think this way as well. Now, many of us here uh, won't have children, or we might have adult children, but whether we have kids or not, we have a responsibility to help all kids grow to love Jesus. And I'm not just saying this because Gnomes is pregnant and she's about to give birth in four months, and I just want to shirk responsibility for the raising of my children... No, I say it because passages like Ephesians 6 expect that the church community as a whole will help to grow children in the church. 
And I think that happens here at Bexley North in, in lots of different ways. It happens when we take child protection seriously. It happens when we serve at kids' church. But an opportunity I can see for us here at 4.30 is maybe every once in a while coming along to morning church and singing joyfully in that part of church where all the kids are gathered with us at the beginning. And in that time, saying creeds with pride and praying intentionally in those moments so the kids can see what it looks like to love Jesus with your whole life. Or maybe another thing that you might be able to do is if you know people from 10am who have kids, maybe getting involved with their lives, inviting them over for dinner, getting to know them and their kids better and encouraging those kids to love Jesus. Yep, kids are noisy, kids are messy and they break things. But this is something that God wants us to do as a church. To be on about growing kids as a community. And I do think that we here, a lot of us at 4.30, are really good at doing this. I've seen a bunch of you take the time to invest in the lives of kids at morning church in different ways, whether that's at kids' church or just getting involved with families at morning church. And I think that's something that we can give thanks for. But as a community, let's be on about partnering with parents to grow kids in our church community. Anyway, back to Luke 2. Uh, And at this point, Jesus' parents, they're heading back to Jerusalem to find their lost son, Jesus, and we pick it up in verse 46. So take a look at verse 46 with me. After three days, they found him in the temple complex, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all those who heard him were astounded at his understanding and his answers. Now let's observe a couple of things going on uh, in these two verses, 46 and 47. Firstly, Mary and Joseph find him after three days. They basically had looked everywhere trying to find him. And when they find him, what do they see him doing? They see him sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions. Now, to us, this might seem a bit strange. Maybe Jesus is in some kind of ancient classroom scenario. You know, he's sitting at his desk, putting his hand up, asking the teacher some questions. The teacher's on the ancient chalkboard, you know, writing out in Roman or Greek or whatever they were learning back then. But what's going on is is almost the complete opposite. Uh, See, Jesus is sitting amongst the teachers and showing them what he knows. Because the way that things worked back then is that Israel's teachers would gather and sit down and ask each other questions to think through the big ideas and test their knowledge. It's almost like a uh, Bible study where every question that you get asked is a test. It's not (laughs) something that I think I would find particularly pleasant, but that's kind of what it's like. And so for Jesus to be sitting down at 12 years old amongst the wisest of Israel, giving astonishing answers to us should be absolutely mind-blowing. These are the wise men of the Jewish world and the spiritual leaders, and they have accepted him and his teaching at just 12 years old. 
Now, this is a, a very big exaggeration, um, but it'd be a bit like a gathering of, you know, you've got John Calvin, you've got Martin Luther, Don Carson, you've got Josh Hesford, uh, Jim Packer, the principal of Moore College, Mark Thompson. And then in the middle of them is a 12-year-old kid just shocking them with how much he knows about God, about the Old Testament law. Because as a child, Jesus is wise. Sitting with these teachers was a tick of approval for Jesus' wisdom and understanding. And this display of wisdom at 12 years old is another reminder to listen to him, to listen to the wisdom of Jesus in all circumstances. And again, I think this is something that we do pretty well here at Bexley North, whether it's here in church, we've always got the Bible here in church, whether it's in gospel teams where we also have Jesus and his wisdom there. But this is something that over time is only going to get harder for Christians in our lifetime as well. Because Jesus teaches some controversial truth in our day and age. And so will you listen to Jesus' wisdom when he teaches that people who don't believe in him will go to hell? Will you listen to Jesus' wisdom when he teaches us to give up our whole lives, our money, our finances, our social standing, all for the sake of his kingdom? Will you listen to Jesus' wisdom when his teaching about gender and sexuality goes against mainstream thinking? Will you listen to Jesus' wisdom when his teaching goes against things like abortion and euthanasia? Jesus is wise. We need his teaching in our life. Even at 12 years old, Jesus is wise. So when you hear something from the Bible that doesn't quite sit right with you, when you hear something from Jesus' wisdom that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, don't automatically write it off. I think it's helpful to dwell on it, read more scripture, talk with your gospel team and, and pray for understanding. Because even at 12 years old, Jesus, in his wisdom, astounded the wisest of his time. But ironically... This isn't what Jesus' parents are thinking at all when they see him. Take a look in your Bibles at verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now this brings us back to that question that I started with, doesn't it? Is Jesus the ideal child? Because they're asking how Jesus could cause them so much distress. Surely no ideal child would cause their parents this kind of agony. But all he's done is cause them stress. But when we look at Jesus' response, we see that their expectations are completely wrong. Take a look in verse 49. See what Jesus responds with. Verse 49. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? What Jesus says is that if they knew who he was, they would have gone straight to the temple. And despite angels, despite prophecies, 
despite these grand speeches of Simeon and Anna that we saw in last week's passage, Jesus' parents, in reality, just think he's an ordinary boy. They think he's just their ordinary son. That's why they didn't think to look for him in the temple straight up. They looked everywhere they thought an ordinary child would be first. See, Jesus might not be the ideal child if we only think of him as the ordinary son of Mary and Joseph. But when we realise that Jesus is God's son, it changes everything. He's actually doing the right thing by being in his father's house. By every standard that God holds, Jesus is the ideal son. As God's son, the only place for him to be is in the temple. As God's son, his devotion is first to his father God. As God's son, he fulfills all the requirements of the law, of the Jewish Old Testament law. And as God's son, he displays outstanding wisdom. Jesus, even as he grows up, is God's ideal son. And so here's my question for you. Where would you have looked for Jesus? Because our answer to that question, when we ask ourselves, where would I have looked for Jesus, tells us who we expect Jesus to be. Do we expect him to be maybe at the arcade, at time zone or something like that? Do we expect him to be at the soup kitchen? At the library? At Lowe's? If we're to look anywhere other than the temple, it shows that we don't quite understand who Jesus is. Because Jesus in the temple shows us his actual identity. That's where he goes home because he is God's son. God's ideal son who is fully righteous. And so what happens if we don't get this? What, why does this all matter? Well, I think it's, if we measure Jesus by our own standards, if we think he would have been anywhere but the temple or we think he should have been anywhere but the temple, then we don't worship the true Jesus. If we go to time zone or an arcade, we just reduce him down to an average boy and an average bloke. If we think he should have been just at the soup kitchen, we just reduce him down to a social advocate. If we think he should have been in the library, we reduce him down to just a smart man. And that's true of Jesus. Jesus was a real person. Jesus did want social advocacy. Jesus was smart and wise. We've seen that in this passage. But to reduce it down to just one of those things is not the true Jesus. He's in the temple because he is the Son of God. And we need to readjust our expectations of who Jesus is to who he truly is. Because when we do, it actually changes our whole world. If I keep my expectations of Jesus as a child, where is my hope? How can Jesus be my saviour if he's just a figment of my own imagination, of my own desires? But if I see Jesus as the ideal son of God... I know that not only am I saved from my sin, 
but I can worship him for who he truly is. Now, if you're still unsure about what you think about Jesus, I want to invite you to keep coming along to church here at 4.30. We'd love to have you. We're here every week, and literally every week we talk about Jesus. We think he's great. And so come back. Come and find out more. We know that the, the true Jesus has answers, and we want to help you to get to know him too. But if you've been following Jesus for a while, I'm going to, ask you, end, I'm going to end by asking you a question. What's the thing in your life that's changing your mind about Jesus? What's the thing in your life that's changing your mind about Jesus? For me, if I'm not coming to the Bible to see what Jesus is like, I find that the news headlines on my Facebook feed tempt me to want a soup kitchen Jesus. When, all, when I see all the trouble in the world on my Facebook feed, I'm tempted to reduce Jesus down to just a food machine or a war ender. And Jesus is both those things, but I'm just reducing him down to just that. And it seems like every cause in the world wants Jesus on their team, don't they? But when they try to do this, again, they just reduce him down to an ordinary person. Jesus the pacifist. Jesus the recycler. Jesus, the conservative social guru, but not Jesus, the Son of God. And so let's stop trying to reduce Jesus down to our own idea of who we think he should be. And let's stop listening to people who try to reduce Jesus down to their own idea and put that on us too. Come and worship the true Jesus, the Son of God who put on flesh, fulfilled all that the law required who was found in the temple at 12 years old, showing his immense wisdom. Jesus, the Son of God who died on a cross for our sin, rose again to give us life and is ruling in heaven, waiting to come back and redeem those who are saved completely by his grace. Let's continually fix our eyes on the true Jesus, getting our picture of him right, and let's trust him because he's beautiful and wise. He's the true Son of God.